open your Bibles, please, to Ephesians 5. And if you're using one of the Bibles there from the rack underneath the seat in front of you or just down the row from you, you'll find this portion of Scripture on page 978. And this is, I think, what the 10th or 11th message in the series that we began several months ago titled, One Another. And we put a little verb in front of that phrase, one another, week by week, because the Bible has a number of commands that teach us what loving one another really looks like. So we've looked at some of the teaching from our Lord Jesus and then the apostles as to what loving one another looks like. Love one another with brotherly affection, the apostle Paul taught us in Romans 12. Outdo one another in showing honor. Live in harmony with one another. Welcome one another. Wait for one another. Serve one another. Forgive one another. So we've made our way through a number of New Testament passages concerning what loving one another really looks like. And this morning, we're going to come to Paul's teaching and exhortation in Ephesians 5 to submit to one another. Now, I got to tell you that that word probably evokes all kinds of thoughts and interest. And when you see that word submission or you hear the word submit, what comes into your mind? For some of you, it might be something like this. You say, oh, if my dog would only learn to submit. And they can in time. Most of them. Or maybe you have a love of wrestling or something like that, and your mind immediately went to a submission hold. That one guy's in trouble. I'm just telling you right there. I don't think his arm is designed to bend that way. Or maybe your thought went a little different path, perhaps down the academic or business route, and you thought of a business proposal that you would submit. Oh, that's right, I, I, that thing has to be submitted tomorrow. Well, that's a little different meaning, but a legitimate one for this particular word. But I suspect that some of you, in hearing the word submission, actually have some difficult thoughts that come to mind. And it may be because at some point in your life, there was an, a figure of authority who abused that authority maybe even used that word and repeatedly said, you need to submit to me. You need to submit to my authority. You need to submit to our rules, our regulations. And so for some, even that word submission is a really hard thing to think about. But when we come to God's word, he actually has a particular uh, idea in mind. And I don't want this word submission to be scary. It shouldn't be. And as we're going to see in just a moment, uh, the way the Lord uses it is actually designed to continue developing a healthy community of really strong relationships in the church. So let's look at the text. And if you don't have a copy of the scriptures, you're welcome to borrow one there, as I said, from the rack under the seat. Or you can just look at the screen, some of the scripture I've included uh, on our PowerPoint presentation this morning. I want to back up, though, even though verse 21 is the specific text, I want to go back to verse 15, and, and so you can at least see the paragraph and some of the bigger thoughts that Paul is carrying into this last word of exhortation and commandment that we ought to submit to one another. So in verse 15, Paul writes, Look carefully, then, how you walk, that is, how you live your life, not as unwise people, but as wise making the best use of the time because the days are evil. That is, the days of this age, the days of this generation are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, 
addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, as you continue to ponder the words of God given through the Apostle Paul, I want to draw your attention to a couple of things uh, in this particular passage that will be helpful for us. Uh, first of all, did you notice uh, some of these participles as we rolled through there? Be filled with the Spirit, and then Paul begins to say things like addressing one another, singing and making melody, giving thanks, and then finally submitting. So submitting is one of five particular thoughts that Paul is putting forward to help us understand what being full of the Spirit of God really looks like. Isn't it interesting that some of those things include singing? We made an attempt at that earlier, didn't we? Some of you say, I've never been able to sing. I wasn't trained. I love music, but I, you know, I can't carry a tune in a bucket. Um, you know, that's okay, because the Lord doesn't actually talk about the quality of our music there, does he? That gives some of us hope. But it is interesting that one of the signs of being full of the Spirit of God is that your heart begins to overflow. And so you're speaking particular things. And he even says addressing one another, or you're speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Sometimes, if I can just insert this little aside, sometimes we come to church and we think that it's up to the, the worship leader and the worship team to do all that stuff for us. And we view ourselves kind of as spectators, don't we? Not in the church. And not in this assembly. We all come with the God-given opportunity to actually speak truth into one another's souls by means of music. So we're addressing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing, making melody to the heart with your with making melody in your heart uh, to the Lord. And then verse 20, giving thanks. Gratitude is an evidence of the Holy Spirit's filling. Now, verse 21 is the fifth particular expression that the Apostle Paul is bringing to our attention. And so what I want you to notice is that submitting to one another, everything we're going to talk about today, and then I think actually it's going to carry beyond this, uh, this morning's study, but submitting to one another is tied directly to being full of the Spirit. And if I may pause for a moment and say, you know, it, you would get things out of sequence if you just said, you know what? I need to be more humble and need to learn to submit. But if there's no relationship that you personally have with the God who created you, and in this context, with the Holy Spirit, who is the third person of the Trinity, we need to talk about that first. I'm not going to take time in this particular moment to do that, but I would love to talk to you personally, or other members of this church would be glad to talk to you about what it means to have a relationship with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But submitting to one another is tied directly to being full of the Spirit. Now, as we've thought about the word submission, um, what I want to do very briefly is to go through just a couple of examples of some New Testament texts that tell us about the submission of Christ. Do you know that Christ is... God and is man, but his existence has always been characterized by submission. Now that may strike you as odd when you think about him being God, and he is fully God. All the rights, all the privileges, all the attributes, it's all there. 
And yet, the Scriptures teach us that Christ submits. To tie it back to a lesson that Matt taught us, uh, worked through a couple of, of Sundays, you'll remember that during the days of Christ's earthly life, he submitted to his earthly parents, and that's recorded in Luke 2.51. And what you see happening is Jesus, who is God, fully God, fully man, but placing himself under the authority of earthly parents. Parents who are imperfect. Parents who are good and, and uh, exemplary in many ways, but, you know, they're like the rest of us. And yet Jesus places himself under their authority, under their in- interests. It's interesting that Luke 2.51 notes that uh, his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And that's tied right to his submission. She valued, she saw something there that was so precious to her, that, that like precious treasure, she just stored it up in her soul. And I'm sure she was continually in awe that the God-man who had entered the world through her womb was submitted. But then you also read some things in the Gospels. And John 4 and John 5 would be two examples of Christ's submission to God the Father while on earth. In John 4.34, Jesus said to his disciples, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. That is what really nourishes my soul. The thing that I gain my spiritual sustenance from is to do the will of the Father. As God, didn't he have an understanding of his own will? Couldn't he have come up with a plan that would have been righteous and holy, that would have displayed the glory of Of the Trinity? Absolutely. He could have done all those things. But in that particular uh, moment of of his existence and of his earthly ministry, the, the way it had been planned out and purposed was that he would fulfill the Father's will. In John 5, verse 30, Jesus says something similar. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So here we see Jesus placing himself under the purpose or the interests of God the Father. He's submitting. There are other scriptures in the New Testament that tell us submission will characterize Jesus for all eternity. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 3 Paul writes, I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband. And the head of Christ is God. There's a functional hierarchy there. It doesn't diminish the divinity of Jesus. It doesn't reduce him to a position of second place in the Trinity. As if somehow he's not as powerful or as divine as God the Father. He is on the equal plane with the Father, but there is a role that he gladly assumes, and and there is a will within which he operates. Hebrews 10, verse 5, When Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired. He's speaking directly to God the Father. But a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have not taken a pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. 1 Corinthians 15 is quite a remarkable passage. It speaks of the resurrection and future days and existence uh, for all of us, but even God's eternal plan is unfolded for the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And at the end of 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writes that he, Jesus, must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for God has put all things in subjection under his feet. So here's God, the Father, working to bring things under subjection to Jesus. But then Paul goes on to say, when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected, or we could even say submitted. It's the same term that that we're staring at in Ephesians 5. The Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. So even that eternal subjection doesn't reduce Jesus to a second-class divinity. He's fully God, worthy of our worship as Revelation reveals to us. And we will praise Him forever. Yet within the Trinity, there is this functional submission. And Jesus submits Himself in order that God the Father, God may be seen in all of His unparalleled glory. So there are purposes at work here, even in the eternal span, that really defy our understanding. And I'm going to tell you, I don't fully comprehend this. But I think that is an important piece of our understanding because Christ who himself understands the the value and significance and importance of submission is calling us to submit ourselves one to another. I know that your nature, like mine, doesn't immediately respond to this with joy and delight. I mean, my soul's not really leaping out at this the way, you know, if somebody puts a really good cut of meat in front of me and I'm like, oh man, I can't wait to dig into that. Well, you know, if, if you think of, of this submission being a, you know, a, a, a food choice as, as if the Lord, you know, puts that on the table, you kind of stare at that like, really, do I have to eat this? But what I want you to see is that God's wisdom is in this and actually his love for us is underneath it. Now go back to the text with me, please, and let's let's remember, first of all, that submission, as he's calling us to participate in it and practice it, is an evidence of being full of the Spirit. It's an evidence of being full of the Spirit, and we've already covered that particular uh, portion of the Scripture. I don't want you to forget that, because this is not one of those things where you say, well, I don't think I'm really gifted to submit. Now, we're not talking about spirit gifts, all right? It's not like mercy or administration or whatever else might be in some of those lists of Holy Spirit gifts. This is a command that comes from the Lord. But it is something you and I practice, and we do so understanding that when we practice it, when we demonstrate our obedience to to the Lord, it is an evidence of being full of the Spirit. I won't take time, but if, if you... If you're jotting down notes and and you want a little additional reading, you could go back to chapter 4 and just read through a couple of other things that Paul has said with reference to the Holy Spirit. And if I can tie it even back to the message on forgiveness, remember, along with the command that we ought to be kind and tenderhearted and forgiving one another, remember how Paul had said, let all wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking, all of that really ugly speech that comes out of our soul, just put it away. He, He is giving these commands with a view of of 
building and growing a community of faith that is very different from the world we're a part of. I've marveled again. Here's another prominent celebrity figure in the news, Urban Meyer, head coach of the Ohio State football program. And and I don't know which way this thing is going to break, but it would be amazing to me to watch a powerful figure be brought down again. Um, and, And I'm amazed in part because everybody wants to know what really happened. And it's interesting to listen to the statements as they come out. Um, Because at this point, I'm not hearing anybody say, I was wrong, will you forgive me for being wrong? But there's talk that he may actually lose his job. And it reminds me again that we live in a system that is so so committed to, to finding justice that they'll nail anybody who's a part of the problem. And I'm all for justice. But but I wonder sometimes, especially as this thing unfolds, um, and I'm, I'm a bit of a college football fan, and I think to myself, if he actually followed protocol that was laid out and, and then submitted himself to the, the proper authorities, both legal and administrative at the school, and yet, because according to the, the standards of our culture, he didn't meet our expectations of whatever our sense of righteousness and justice is, we'll call for his head. And I say, where's the mercy? Where's the forgiveness? First of all, where's, where, is, where do you see anybody owning their sin? Or, or even if it's not in the sin category, where do you see anybody owning the wrong that they've done? And then where do you see on the other side somebody saying, you know what, we all get it because we're all imperfect. We all make mistakes. And in this case, we can extend forgiveness. But I just don't hear any of that dialogue right now. And, and this is what I want you to see that Paul, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit and, and God Almighty, is actually giving us truth that creates a very different kind of community. It's not a community where we say, oh, it doesn't matter, you can do whatever you want. We're not soft on sin, but we understand how to deal with our sin through the mercy of God, practicing the ownership of sin and extending forgiveness, practicing restoration and doing those things that make for a truly safe environment. Because I think one of the things that puts us in awe is to realize that that if somebody like Urban Meyer, who and I don't know the full story yet, but as I was listening to some things yesterday, I thought, if he actually followed protocol and yet still loses his job, what does that say about our culture? And we realize we're all vulnerable, don't we? Even when we've done the very best we can do. Even a little... Because in the big scheme of history, this is such a small and insignificant moment, but it's still in the national spotlight, and it and it just creates this desperation in my soul that says, you know what, God, if we don't if we don't know your mercy and experience it, we're all in trouble. And that's part of what makes a church such a wonderful body to be a part of. It's what makes it such a wonderful family to be a part of. Christ calls us to submit, not only as an evidence of the Holy Spirit's filling, but look again at Ephesians 5.21 now, out of reverence for Christ. What does it mean to reverence Christ? To reverence Christ means to live in the constant awareness of His presence and His Lordship. Reverence is not something you simply kind of toss His direction you know, as if you just kind of tip of the hat. 
No, it's a, it actually has to do with the, the direction of your life. The way your soul is bent. And to reverence Jesus is actually to honor Him. To respect Him. To fear Him. I know for some of you, you, you grew up in a, a religious context. Uh, some of you locally, some of you like I did, maybe back in the, in the South. And your initial impression was that God was really powerful and very often really angry. And so that created a kind of fear in your heart that was kind of like, I don't know if I want to go near him. Now, he is really powerful. And you know what? He is angry every day about the sin in this world. But he's also full of mercy and grace and love and compassion. And he's made a way. He has taken the initiative to draw near to sinful people like us. That's what Jesus Christ and his life and death and resurrection is all about. But what we're talking about here is not a fear that Jesus is going to nail us. No, it's just a fear that says, he's awesome. He is powerful. He is God. He is the just judge. Has the power to condemn, but doesn't because of his shed blood. We reverence Christ as our creator. We reverence him as our Lord. Everything about you and me is in place by his design. From the date of your birth to the family you were born into to the gender that you were born with. And if I can just put this out there, you know this whole gender discussion that's underway right now? It's a reflection that as a whole, we've lost our connection to the God who created us, recognizing his goodness and his wisdom that he coded the DNA to come out as male or female. But if you're not rightly related to your creator, if you don't recognize that he has done something to make you who you are, of course you're going to start to wonder if, if this is the real me. And maybe somewhere in the evolutionary process, things got messed up. That's part of what makes my heart break when people are struggling with gender identity. I think to myself, you need to know the creator. We reverence him. A person who has difficulty submitting to earthly authority and relationship is not ultimately submitted to divine authority. And it may be because they simply don't understand his lordship. They don't know who he is. But all through this passage, Paul reminds us that our acts of service and submission are ultimately for Christ and to Christ. So our submission is out of reverence for him. Because submission does mean we actually arrange ourselves under the people around us. And, and whether you are here for the first time or you were, were part of the Trinity Baptist family that planted this church and you've been here a long time, you know what? We're all imperfect and it's really hard to arrange ourselves under people who aren't perfect, isn't it? But God knew that. And he doesn't have a different plan for us. And so all through this passage, Paul reminds us that our acts of service and submission are ultimately for Christ and to Christ. And if you read through Ephesians 5, you will see those little phrases appearing again and again and again. Even below this, when he gets to some specific application of what mutual submission looks like. And he'll say in the, in the verses just under this, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. He continues to push it back to this higher calling that because of your relationship with Jesus, 
you step into this particular role I'm calling to you. And then he says to husbands, love your wives. How? As Christ loved the church. Ladies, can I ask, if, if your husband loved you like Jesus loves the church, laying down his life, sacrificing, nourishing, cherishing, would it be a hard thing for you to, to place yourself under his leadership? Not really. That's why Disney movies continue to sell. The whole princess and prince thing, I mean, that's real. That's, that's in us. Even that's a, it's a flawed and sometimes distorted stamp of our God. But nonetheless, it is there. We, all, we long for those kinds of relationships. Then he's going to press into the parenting and, and role of children. He's going to say, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And he'll say to fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Then he'll press into the relationship that masters and, and servants have. And he'll say, servants, obey your masters as you would Christ. And he'll remind masters, you, you should not treat your servants harshly because you yourself are going to stand before the great master one day. And so he continues in all of these relationships to elevate it just above well, who's in position of power? Who's in the position of authority? I'm not sure I want to. He keeps lifting it above all of that that we get, that we get hung up in and says, Jesus Christ is Lord. And so we submit out of reverence for him. You know, even those earthly relationships aside, whether it be the context of marriage or parenting or work, work relationship, are you personally living in reverence for Christ? Is he the center of your world? Are you seeking to do your work Monday through Friday out of reverence for Christ? Are you seeking to establish relationships with one another out of reverence for Christ? Again, if you're not rightly related to Jesus as Lord... Everything else is going to be out of place, at least to some extent. Christ calls us to submit out of reverence. I love the words of one author. Eugene Peterson writes, Christ reverence is a vigorous, bold freedom, full of spontaneous energy. This is the contextual atmosphere in which we find ourselves loved and loving before God. We are more than ready to bow down before Christ, unafraid that we will be tyrannized. For Christ has already laid down his life for us on the cross, pouring himself out and holding nothing back. And then he uses this little phrase, willed passivity. I think that's interesting. And then he goes on to say, love is defined by a willingness to give up my will. And then he cites the words of Jesus himself from the Gospels, not my will but thine be done. A voluntary crucifixion. I think that's the point of struggle for all of us because all of us are called to submit to somebody or something and it just grates uh, across the soul because in the end, we don't want to die. We don't want to undergo a different kind of crucifixion to use Eugene Peterson's words. But you know, that's what some of the submission thing is about. Jesus is saying, are you willing to die to yourself and actually arrange yourself under others so that then you're positioned to serve them, to love them, even sacrificing for them? 
to bring a benefit into their world when it will cost you something. Are you willing to do that? That's at the heart of submission. So he calls us to submit. It's an evidence of the Holy Spirit. It's out of reverence for Christ. But then finally, as an expression of love for others. Again, that's what's at the heart of this command, to submit to one another. That terminology that Paul uses means very simply to place oneself under another's interests. Now think about that. What are the interests of others? It sounds a lot like Philippians 2, doesn't it? What are the interests of your nearest and dearest friend? What are the interests of your coworker? What are the interests of your child? What are the interests of your parent? When you start to think through all the relationships, you can come up with a, a, a pretty uh, challenging list, can't you? Because a lot of times, what's in their best interests will mean sacrifice on your part if you're going to actually submit to that need. Why would we submit? Well, before we get to what I think are some clear biblical reasons, let me just give you something very practical. Because most of us have, at some point, actually submitted. Um, and, and I want to use an illustration just out of your work world. You know, in order to have a job and earn a salary, uh, many of you have gone to work for somebody else. Some of you have your own business, but if you've ever worked for another person, you know that when you arrive on the scene, they typically hand you, uh, perhaps it's a handbook that says these are the company policies. And I remember right after we were married, my wife went to work for a bank. And uh, she came home and she said, look at this dress code. And it was actually very conservative. Now, a lot of the people didn't abide by it, not at least as it was spelled out. But, you know, a, a company will actually reserve the right to tell you how to dress. And some of you actually are in positions where you have to wear a uniform. And it's not actually a good-looking uniform when it comes right down to it, right? I mean, I, I've retired this outfit now, but several years ago, I, I still have this brown down vest, and, and it's very warm, and I love it, although other members of my family don't think it's that particularly attractive. But I made the mistake of wearing the brown vest one day uh, with a pair of brown jeans and had you know brown leather shoes on and brown socks, too. I didn't have a brown shirt, but nonetheless, most of me was brown, and my wife simply said, are you going to deliver some packages today? I thought, you know, I, that hurts. <laughs> I had, I've never heard her say that to the UPS guy. And we all know why. We get it. He works for the company that says, brown's the color. If you work for us, you're going to dress like this. And if you want the salary and the benefits that go, whether it be UPS or whatever company is out there, you actually submit your own preferences on dress, and you do what they tell you to do. And some of you may have actually been one of those types who's like, I'm not wearing it. Uh, or maybe you made an appeal, can I wear something else? And got into, and I don't know, maybe some of you actually said, I'm quitting because I'm not going to wear the uniform anymore. Well, that is your prerogative, but you made a choice, didn't you? And you know, it's interesting that even in the New Testament in particular, when the Apostle Paul begins to talk about things like this, uh, he actually shows that you can make choices where you ultimately submit yourself to the interests of people around you in order to have effective ministry. 
in particular, effective gospel ministry. Let's go to one of those passages very briefly here. 1 Corinthians 9, verses 19 through 20. If you want to follow along, I'm just going to read a, a brief portion here. But Paul says, though I am free from all, and he's actually talking about the the ethnic groups and the various cultures that he moved in and out of as he was preaching the gospel. So whether Jews or Gentiles, whether it was in Jerusalem or Rome, he says, I'm free from all. I, I, and one says, I have no obligation to live like a Roman or to live like a, uh, a, an Israelite. But he says, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To those under the law, I became as one under the law. And he's, he's talking strictly about Jewish ceremonial law, the traditions that they kept, not the things that are clearly commanded in the Word of God. So it's not God's law that he's speaking of. It's, it's the cultural laws. And then he says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel. And listen to this, that I may share with them in its blessing. That's the heart motive of love. That's the motive that says, God has been so good to me and what he has given me through this gospel is something that I want to share with others and enjoy. And I don't mean just share like verbally tell them about it, but actually be a sharer participating in the blessings of God. And because that's so important to me, because my heart is full of love for Jew and Gentile alike, if I'm in a Jewish context, I can fit right in. Do stuff that I have no obligation to do before God because it's not a matter of spirituality or obedience to him. It's just a matter, it, it clears some of the cultural obstacles and barriers. That's the mark of maturity. That's what's at the heart of this command for submission. And the gospel mission ought to be so important to us, as it was to Paul, that we willingly give up our personal preferences and even some of those cultural rights, as it were, in order to reach the people who are near and dear us, dear to us. Second reason for healthy community. That's where Paul's going to go a little deeper in the verses that follow, and we'll do the same. Uh, once I return from that mission conference next week. I think it will be good for us to, to step out of the One Another series for a few weeks and just talk a little more about marriage and family and work, since those are probably the three uh, key pieces of, of our day-to-day -day world individually and as a church. So subjecting oneself to another, as Paul is teaching it here, is actually the opposite of self-assertion. You see, the, the community of, of Christ, a local church like this, is not a place for you and me to carry in our own agenda and establish self and say to the world around us, hey, let me tell you what I think and what I want, and we're going to do what I say, and it's all about me. No, he's creating a different kind of community. Jesus is Lord. First of all, we reverence and fear him. And as we serve him, then we turn around and we actually submit ourselves one to another and say, how can I serve you? And if you think about it, where do relationships begin to break down? When we assert self. It doesn't matter if it's your marriage, if it's your parenting, or if you're a, a child under a parent's authority, or if it's the workplace. When you begin to assert yourself, that's where you're positioned for trouble. So what will submission look like in this week to come? I'm going to give you four quick thoughts as we conclude. First of all, it's going to look like repentance, isn't it? All of us need to make sure we're submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. All of us need to make sure that we are believing as he calls us to believe, that we are obeying as he calls us to obey, that we are in right relationship with him. It may also mean repenting toward other people. And perhaps you're in a position where 
in a relationship, whether it be in a, in a family household front or whether it be a work thing. You've been asserting yourself in a way that the Spirit of God has convicted you this morning. And, and you're thinking to yourself, oh man, you know what? I probably should talk to that coworker first thing tomorrow morning. Yes, you should. Because God wants you as his follower to live a very different kind of life. So it's going to look like repentance. Second of all, it's going to look like service. There are some practical ways that you can actually rearrange your schedule and put yourself under the interests of another. It happened this past week. One of our members became aware of the need of another, another member and said, yes, I can provide that ride and I will take you where you need to go. And so one member, in a very simple and, and straightforward way, submitted to the schedule and personal needs of that other member. That's what submitting to one another can look like. Matt put some opportunities in front of us. And by way of a very practical but scriptural reminder, those are opportunities for you to serve, to submit. And so go to the sign-up list. Yes, as an act of obedience to the Word of God, as we're studying it and, and seeking to practice it together. Come on Thursday night. I know for some of you, your schedules are tight, and you say, it's so hard, I get off work at... Six, and then you're saying, you know, we're going to have that prayer in the park thing, and I'll be so tired, and I'm sure I want to have a prayer walk. Can I just have a prayer sit? Sure, we'll, we'll make arrangements for that. But you know what? When you, when you give up your personal comfort, even for something like that, you're submitting yourself to the interests of your church. So it's not about blind obedience, and it's not about, you know, Danny, one of the pastors, saying, you better or else. It's not that. It's reverence for Christ that says, all you've done for me, how can I serve others? Then accountability. This kind of submission uh, looks like one individual submitting his life or her life to the counsel or confrontation or exhortation of others. Some of you are hiding sin right now. You don't want other people to know about it. But you know, if you would actually submit yourself to the Word of God, as James 5 says, pray for one another, confess your faults to one another, and pray for one another that you may be healed, you might actually experience a spiritual renewal and deliverance like you've never known. But you're going to have to submit yourself. Be accountable. Then there's a fourth practical thought, deference. That just means you need to be willing to lose once in a while, if not all the time. Does it always have to be done your way at home? Does your schedule always have to be followed to a T? Do you always have to have breakfast or whatever it is at the appointed time? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Doreen, there's your opportunity to submit. Thanks, Bob, for making this real-world application for us. Now, the heart of Christ is to come into a world that was broken and to serve, to submit himself. He deferred to Jewish culture. He didn't have to be born at that time in that place to that city in that community, but he did, and he did it gladly. There are a thousand ways we can defer but sometimes that can be really hard, can't it? 
God wants to create here, right here, a different kind of community than what most of us live in and experience day in and day out. He wants it to be a place where you are safe, where you can be open and honest about your struggles, where you can immediately find support and not judgment and criticism and condemnation. He wants you to be in a place where you can actually grow into the kinds of relationships that we all long for and actually grow to become the kind of person that deep in your soul you really know you should be and want to be. But it's through Jesus. It's through his life, it's through his death, and it's through his resurrection. Let's bow for prayer. Father, we know these things are challenging. But how thankful we are that you have led the way. We're thankful for your example. Yet at the same time, we're thankful that you are so much more than our example. You are the great victor over our sin. And whereas our selfishness deserves the condemnation of God Almighty and deserves His wrath and punishment, you took all of that on yourself at the cross. You paid the debt of sin in full. And out of that great act of sacrifice, God extends a full and free and complete forgiveness for all who come. And we come. And we say, Lord God, have mercy on us. Remove the guilt of our sin and take away that reproach. And grow and develop in us hearts that are tender, first of all to you, that live in the proper reverence of Jesus Christ. And then out of that right relationship, also gladly submit ourselves one to another. Would you let this church family grow in its love for one another visibly so that others in this community who hurt so deeply, who feel so vulnerable, some have been trampled over, used and abused and just worn out by a culture that has, has no grace and knows nothing of mercy. Oh, Lord God, let them find your rich grace and mercy in this community. We also pray that as you deepen our love for one another, that our hearts would just be broken for one another as they need to be, would be rich in love and compassion, that patience and forbearance and, and all of these one another's that we've been studying would just come uh, into that sweet maturity, that experience that we all long for. So grow us. Please, grow us. As we continue in prayer for just a moment, what's, what's the strongest impression on your heart right now that you believe God is either speaking into you or encouraging you to do? Is it, is it a, something to be repented of? Is it a proactive step you need to take? Will you just quietly yield yourself to that right now? Just submit to the Lord and say, I'll do it. Lord, I'll do it, whatever it is. Just pray quietly for another moment here. Keeping your heads bowed in a spirit of prayer for just a moment. Let me just say to you, if you'd like to talk further, if there's some very specific need that you're saying, I need some help with this, 
let's talk right after the service. I'm going to remain here at the front and just step over to the side and we can begin a conversation in private and, and find a even better time, more private location if, if it needs that. But I would love to pray with you, just encourage you and help you as I can. So let me extend that invitation to you. Seek some help if you are saying, I'm, I'm confused still or just not sure what to do with these thoughts that God has given me today. Let us help you. Let us help you. So Father, seal to our hearts all that you have prepared for us on this day and change us and make us to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Make this church a place of refuge, a place of hope, a place of comfort and love. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.